The Hockey Hurts Podcast would like to thank Jimmy Dunphy and Esther Cabrera for their generous donations to the podcast. You too can donate by visiting our podcast page at patreon.com slash hockeyhurts. Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for April 19th of 2016. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. This uh, week's edition of the podcast will not be too complicated for topics. We are going to discuss the Stanley Cup playoffs, which are about a week in now. Uh, some series better than others, but uh, overall, much like every year, NHL playoffs, great time of year. Best best time of year, I think. So we're going to jump right into it. Uh, last night, overtime game, Kings-Sharks. Kings are a team I believe I picked to win the cup on the podcast and then i think on my nhl bracket i had them in the final so i have them going far but they're down two to one and it could have been worse they could have lost last night's overtime game uh but they did not so two one series with the california teams it's been uh i've enjoyed watching the sharks play so so have I. we were discussing just before we, we hit record i want the sharks to win but I don't blame you for picking LA to win the whole thing. There's just something about wanting to see that team just get over the, the hump of, of LA or, or just get into the conference finals or, or just do something a little more than they have. And it's not like they're a bad team. Um, it's it's one of those things where you're right, it could have been three zip for the Sharks and you sit there and go, is it a repeat of the year they were up three zip and LA comes back to win? So it's been a fun series to watch. It's been physical. Um, there's been high skill in, involved in it. Um, it's quite miraculous how the Sharks have scored on their first shot in every game, uh, which is an interesting little bit of a tidbit. But you just sit there and it's been a good series. Have they really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, quick start, huh? Thank you. I'm glad you made the pun. <laughs> uh, well... I just like watching the Sharks more. I know I picked L.A. I want them to lose. <laughs> I, want I, don't to be, like I want to be wrong. Yeah. I don't like L.A.'s style of hockey. I just I don't find it fun to watch. And, and the Sharks are doing a good job of, of making it entertaining. They're forcing L.A. to, to skate, um, which is nice to see. But uh, L.A. did a really good job in Game 3 of, of um, being more physical and, and slowing them down. It's just... I don't know how many cool players are on LA that you like go out of your way to watch. And I don't think there's many, I I know the, the Drew Doughty, Eric Carlson thing. There's been a lot of negative things said about Doughty because you know, you're trying to make the argument for the other guy. He's, he's really good. And I, I think he's an awesome skater, but I think Brent Burns is a lot more fun to watch. Yeah, being fun and being effective are two different things, though. So, I mean, you and I obviously watch hockey to be entertained, but if you look at it in the sense of it's a professional sport, I would still take Drew Doughty over Brent Burns uh, in regards to what he can actually provide or what he does on the ice. So there's only one other defenseman I'd take before Doughty, um, and that is Eric Carlson. So I, I sit there with it, and it is interesting watching the two of them play. They do play very differently than, than each other, and I think... For me, that's been an interesting aspect to watch through the series. I think the Sharks are excellent when Joe Thornton's on the ice, and so-so without. I can't really argue that point. It, it, it's it's 
it's pretty obvious that he's still he's still the man, if you know what I mean. Like he hasn't fallen off or, or anything like that. So it's been impressive to watch him be as good as he is. I mean, the goal that he scored today, yeah, it was a lucky bounce off McBain's shin, but I don't think anyone expected him to actually shoot the puck there. So, you know. No, he. I've always complained he doesn't shoot nearly enough for the shot that he has. Yeah, that has been a common common refrain of yours. In this, look, the, the interesting thing is to, to sort of emphasize how good Drew Doughty is. Look at that back six that he's playing with. His he partner carrying, at times is you know who. Yeah, he is he is carrying the workload. Like he played over thirty minutes before at the end of the third period before the OT. Um, he doesn't look tired. You can see he's getting frustrated because there are things that he's trying to do aren't working. Um, and you can put that down to his competitive nature that he shows that emotion, which is great as a fan to see. Um, but are they asking too much of the poor man? I would argue that a team is asking way too much of a defenseman if they're giving him a heavy dose of Rob Scuderi as the partner. I can't so believe that guy is playing over 20 minutes. You're not worried about his, his minutes on his own. You're worried about the minutes he has with certain players. Well, what did we say last year when Chicago's D all got hurt? We we just waited for Duncan Keith to kind of fall apart, and he just kind of never did. No, so, but he was also playing with talent around him as well. Well, not like on D. Have, didn't he either have Jarlison or, or, or Seabrook, or did they split him up, the three of them? I think he had everybody because he never came off. Like, that's a very, very good point. Um I was going to say, because that to me would be probably the slight argument, is he's only got really Jake Muzzin that you, you would say you would trust in amongst that back six that they've got in LA, and um, it's not really stopped him from, from being productive. It was it was hilarious watching the the Sportsnet broadcast um, in the intermission, and they were like, well, he's a minus four for the series. And it's like, you know, should it be a concern that he's a minus four? And it's like, well, he does everything else. He's going to be on the ice four goals against, and, and they're losing this series. So he's going to be a negative. It, it sort of showed the ridiculousness of that statistic, I think, in regards to trying to establish value of a player. They did say that themselves. Like, I'm not trying to, to bag out uh, the Sportsnet guys there, but it was one of those things where it's like it shows you the ridiculousness of plus minus isolated on its own. I just tuned that out now. It's not worth <laughs> the time. It's been shown to be junk science so to speak so yeah you know you want to use it that's fine i i just i don't have to pay attention no that's very true now do you still stand by la to win the series um i i don't see why they can't they're still a, a great possession team and, and when and joe thornton unlike defensemen forwards can't really play half the game so they'll get some matchups that they can do well with and have but, you know, it depends. Which Jonathan Quick are you getting? It's kind of like wow. a flurry thing. I, I, I think that much like flurry, Quick runs a little more hot and cold than I think people give credit for. Last it's, night he was hot. The other games, not so much. It's going to interest me. Well, it's one of those things where I actually thought Pecorino was going to flurry Nashville, but... Quick in the first two games had that feeling about him that he was going to Fleury LA. And it, it's it's one of those things where 
Martin Jones has played quite well, and you can't really... It's not the goaltending that's screwing the Sharks up at the moment, which, you know, has been the common theme lately in the last couple of playoff runs. So it's it's nice to see them getting that chance to have the, the players in front be the reason that they either go forward or they don't. Uh, for me, it's a toss-up. Like I said, I want the Sharks to win. I can see LA winning the next four games, to be perfectly honest, or I can see it ending in seven in, in at Staples. So it's such a coin flip of a series. I just love watching San Jose's power play go to work. That power play in the third period, one of the power plays from the third period last night when they had the zone time for almost the full two minutes and it was completely spent moving and shooting and it was just complete chaos. The only issue I have is that I only got the one shot on net that's and okay. it got saved. That's, that's the only neg- Like You're exactly right. It was a beautiful power play and it was constructed brilliantly. Yeah, that's, if you're going to try and find a negative in it is that they didn't get enough shots on the actual net. But it looked fantastic. It was really, really good to see. You, as a coach, you'd have been happy with that apart from the fact they didn't score on it, really. Yeah, that was that's one of those, all right, keep doing that, the puck will get through, you'll score. But their their ability to hound the puck and get all those block shots and rebounds and keep things alive, it was just a, a well-oiled machine. They got some talent out there. Thornton, Pavelski, Marlowe, Burns, am I missing? Who's, I can't think of the fifth one off the top of my head. Hurdle, was Hurdle in there as well? Could have been. He oh. plays a lot with Thornton, so that would make a little bit of sense. Yeah. But they're also puck hounds, even strength. They, they are really attacking hard on L.A., and I think they have to, and they have been. It's it's one of those things where I'm going to use this to transition to the Pittsburgh-New York series. That's been the difference between L.A. and San Jose is the puck retrieval of San Jose has been better than L.A.'s. And in the Rangers-Penguins series, for me... That's been the difference between the two teams is that New York are getting to the, the the loose pucks quicker. They're getting the puck back more often. Um, and, and that's why Pittsburgh can't get going with speed because they don't have the puck. It's also why New York are winning the, the, the Corsi battle, for want of a better word. And it's funny because you would argue that L.A. and Pittsburgh were both better than the, their opponents at just that leading up to the final stretch, 25 games or so, or even most of the year for L.A., and then since the coaching change for Pittsburgh. But it hasn't played out that way through two games for Pittsburgh. I wonder if it's been a change in coaching philosophy from the Rangers in L.A. that, sorry, from the Rangers in San Jose. Like, they've obviously studied tape. They know they've got, you know, at the most seven games against their, their opponent, have they, I wonder if they've done anything specific or whether it is literally just you have to work harder than the other team. If you don't, you're going to get you know, blown off the ice. So it'll be really interesting to see, or we'll hear, I suppose, quotes and stuff later on if you, you hear what's happened, where and where. Because apparently Pittsburgh are trying to change a lot of stuff at the moment. I'm thinking, no, I don't know if you really have to. Um, I can't lie. I'm not breaking down LA San Jose quite the same way. New York, Pittsburgh, just because my my writing job doesn't entail L.A. or San Jose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But Pittsburgh, I think, is just, I think the Rangers are just playing better. 
I think that's as simple as that. They're doing a really nice job with what they have to do. Uh, they're clogging up that neutral zone a little bit. That alley-oop play that we've grown accustomed to seeing with Haglin and Kessel kind of hasn't gotten off the ground at all. Um, I don't think they've changed too much structurally. And, you know, I I think the Rangers, surprisingly enough, have controlled the, the possession flow, which I don't think either of us predicted. I don't think many people predicted that was going to be the case. No, I think, well, I probably gleefully hoped that, that Lundqvist would have had to play out of his skin. And he's, he's not had to. He's had to make some good saves, but he's... Uh, if you look at the the shots towards the net, he's had the the least less to worry about compared to well, obviously same with with Ranta, um, than what Zepkos had to deal with. Yeah, and that that whole situation. Um, so last podcast was a preview, so everything that's been played in the playoffs is fair game right now. Uh, yeah, the Zetkov thing. I thought he he came in game one was great. I thought New York. Despite losing five to two, was you know they controlled even strength and Zatkoff made a, a lot of really nice saves on breaks and on the power play and stuff like that. I think it also highlighted like if you were keyed in on him because sometimes you know backup backup goalie you hit pucks in the zone a while you're like all right what's he doing <laughs> and you know I I still think he swims. A lot. Oh, he swims. There are so many times where you get there and go, why can I see so much net and why is he where he is? You can see that he doesn't track the puck very well in the sense that he gets down onto his he, – he's still moving with the with the puck carry then hits his knees without getting set. So he slides out of his net and he's got no recourse. He, he can't do anything with it because he's on his knees. So it's, it's funny how much net gets exposed. And the team did bail him out a few times in game one. And he's bailed the team out likewise. But if you're losing the shot volume battle and he's the goalie, I think the track record uh, speaks I think, I think I think his career adjusted um, save percentage at 5 on 5 is 908. Which save is percentage good. at 5 on 5 is 908. Which isn't very good. So, yeah, I know what you mean. It, um, it makes things really difficult to kind of keep the other team off the board over the course of time, that 908 is going to bear its ugly head. And I think it did in game yep. two. You know, and I don't think any of the goal, like, you know, you can point to goals and be like, what, what the hell? I think the Rangers had some unsavable goals, but at the same time, you know, who knows? He's certainly not their best. It's an interesting well, got- dynamic, that goalie <laughs> thing. They... they there are two other options they could have in net in front of him, and, and they can't because he's he's injured. But, hey, credit to the Rangers. They're doing this without McDonough. Yeah, that should trouble Pittsburgh a little bit. A little bit, yes. Although I would say the injured players for Pittsburgh will continue to improve. And Evgeny Malkin being the, the, the big one, I think – you know, people see game two loss, Melkin came back, Melkin played on the wing here, played on the center there, and they think that Melkin ruined chemistry or, or he's moved. Like, give me a break. 
He's still one of the best best players in the league. Yeah, he's coming off an injury. Yeah, he can't take faceoffs. Who cares? He can still own his own entry like no other player on that team. And he did. And he can create. And he's going to improve as time goes on. I expect a much uh, better game from Pittsburgh this evening. I don't think they've played even close to their best hockey. So we'll see. I don't think it's the forwards that have been the issue. I think that's gotten a lot of the focus because that's where the injured players have come back. Rust, Malkin, am I missing anybody? Rust, Malkin. That might Nard. just be it for the time being. But I think it's the defense play that hasn't been that great. I don't think Daly's been great. And he's in an elevated role now with Latang. <clears throat> Well, he has. This is the, the the only option you've got there is to is to elevate Doolin because Marta has proven that he's he's not up to trying to play that elevated role at the moment. You know, he is what he is. Great skater, uh, decent puck skills, but you know, not the most defensively sound guy, and you know, can be mistake prone with the puck. And I think he had a few bad turnovers. I think, you know, the Cole Lovejoy, while not being atrocious, I don't think they add to what the Penguins are trying to be this year. If if you know what I mean. Who would I, I've, this? What would be if you get there and go? This includes the fact that we've got a thirty-five percent martyr in the lineup at the moment. What would be your ideal back six? And I'm saying your ideal, not what will happen. What would you like to see your back six? Ideal, perfect world, no injuries, or with the current injury situation? With the current injuries that they've got listed at the roster. Because I, I, I know who I'd have paired up together. I'm just interested to know what you, what you want to do. Oh, boy. I think I think you got to take Mata out. Yep. So who do you put with Latang? said it earlier in the year, I'd like to see Dumoulin get some minutes yep. with him, but so I don't know if pair. you can overload it quite like that. Because ah, what... screw it. Just play him 30 minutes. Dumoulin's fit enough to do it. You could go that route. Um, so who do you have your second pairing then? Daly and who? Who's left? I would probably have... Um, I would have Pouliot and Schultz as the yep. bottom pairing. No, I don't, see, I, I don't understand. Go, I, would, I, would go I still don't understand why the mistakes that these other guys make don't raise an eyebrow, but, you know, and they can't add offensively or get creative with the puck, but somehow, eh, whatever. It's an old stale argument on this podcast. Yeah. But this is the problem with Marta not being healthy because you could have Marta as your, with Daly as your second pairing defenseman and then do what you want to do, which is have... Pouliot and Schultz as your, as your third-pairing defenseman. And that's probably how I'd run. But with with Marta just not being able to skate full stop, like he is slower than normal, so his brain can't even fix that like he was able to do before he went out with an injury, you sit there and go, do you get there and, and, and run the gauntlet and just go put Daly and Pouliot together and just run with it and then have Cole and Schultz together? Or are you going to have to play daily and love Jordy? Like, this is the thing. Like, the martyr injury really does throw out that whole flow that Pittsburgh had. I mean, it's funny that without Dan Girardi, all of a sudden that back end looked okay with the Rangers. 
<laughs> yeah, he's he's not uh, not an asset for them. And that, you know, when you're below replacement level, the replacement's going to be better. Yeah, I believe it was McElrath in this circumstance. Um, I might roll with Mata one more game, but I wouldn't have him with Latang. I may try one more game with Latang and Daly, Dumoulin, and Mata, and then you know, they'll probably go Cole Schultz, and it'll be Lovejoy and Pouliot out of the lineup. That would be my prediction. Um, because Schultz, you know, he's gonna make. He's going to make errors too, but at least when the puck's on a stick uh, at, at times, if he has time and space, you know it's just not good. Like, there are times so many, you know, on the breakout, Lovejoy's carrying the puck up, and it's like there are guys open, there's space to be had, and it's just a one-track mentality of I'm going to skate it to this spot, and then I'm just going to unload it. And that's not how this team is constructed to play anymore. No, and I give Lovejoy credit for not trying to go outside of his skill set. The coaching staff have got to realize that that skill set isn't going to work for what this team needs. So I don't lay that on Lovejoy. I mean, he's playing within what he's got. He's not trying to do more than he can. But that doesn't mean he should be in the lineup because he stays within his confines. His confines aren't big enough for what the team needs. Um, Anything you would do with the forward lines before we move on? Um. I would just try and make sure Gino plays in the center as much as he can, to be honest, even if it means he doesn't take face-offs. So that, to me, is going to be... face-off thing's such a non-issue. It's, I, I, don't particularly care. I don't particularly care who he plays with. He's going to be better for the run. There have been a lot of articles saying that maybe you shouldn't play him and stuff like that. Um, but they're better with him in there. Uh, Gino, even if he's not 100% and he's at like 80%, is still better than Oscar Sundquist at 100%. So you put him in and, and, and work it out. So you'll leave the top line of Hornquist, Crosby, Kunitz? I'd probably take Kunitz off and put Sheary out there and put Kunitz with Malkin. Okay. I could see just that. To give, just to give Malkin someone that he's played with a lot. Do you know what I mean? Like they did play really well together there for a, a period. And um, I think it would be smart to have Kunitz be in a position where he can do what he does with Crosby. Just put the puck in a place Malcolm wants it and then just get out of the way. So how long's your leash with uh, Hagelin, Benino, Kessel? Um, so you're down two in game three, I suppose. <laughs> then you just throw Malcolm in the middle of him and just run. So, <laughs> so right now Malcolm looks like he's going to get Connor Sheary, who I think is skilled, is fast, so I have no problem trying a guy like that. Totally uh, agree. But they're taking rust off uh, to put fair there, and I don't, I don't know, I don't, I don't see that one uh, working. I don't think Fair's had a, a great year. No, I have to admit he's not performed as I, I was hoping. Maybe that elbow uh, injury slowed him down for the whole year, and he might be better next year. But in regards to this year. Um, <laughs> Yeah, maybe throw Rust in there or put Cullen in there next to him or, or, or something. It, it's it's an interesting dynamic to see. They've got options, and I suppose that's the great thing. I mean, if this had happened last year, you would know exactly where everyone slots into the lineup. Now, I know the coaching staff say that everyone's got their defined role and they all know what they have to do, and maybe throwing Muckett in there has thrown them out of that mix and they're a little bit all over the place. But to be perfectly honest... 
everyone should know what they still have to do. It's it's nice for the for them to have options. They just need to not try and outsmart themselves. You know, put players in positions to succeed and um, beat the Rangers to the puck and hope that the Rangers will make some of the mistakes that the Penguins made. And I think the other change that Pittsburgh will have to make is they've been leaning heavily on Cullen Kuhnhackle and it's been fair recently. It used to be yeah. rust. They're playing. That's clearly the fourth line in this structured order. If Malkin's going to play on this quasi middle six line. Yep. Yep. But they're playing him against the Broussard line. They're playing them as though they're like a legit shutdown thing. And what they are is a nice fourth line, which is something they haven't had in a while. But that doesn't mean you got to go overboard with the application of that line. They need to give them more favorable matchups so that Cullen can kind of get his time and space and make some nice offensive plays. And they need to go more strength on strength because that Broussard had three points, JT Miller had three points, Nash had mini breakaways and that kind of stuff. I wouldn't I wouldn't keep rolling with that intended matchup if that indeed was the matchup because I looked at the minutes played last game and those those were the minutes they played the most against. Maybe maybe they will look it's up to the Rangers now I suppose if they want a line match and, and what they want to do in that aspect. Sullivan has shown a propensity to when he's the away coach to do immediate line changes when the puck's dropped. So he may well change uh, his options in, in that aspect. But, yeah, you can't be using the, the color line, which is a good fourth line that should do well against third and fourth lines. You're asking it a bit much to go up against the number one and number two line of a, of a playoff team. Like, you know, as much as you and I both thought that the Penguins would win the series comfortably – um, you still have to treat the other team with some sort of respect and, and understand that they're good players are good and, and you have to do your best to shut them down. Um, you, if you put your best players on the ice against their best players, take the gamble that your best players are going to have the puck more often. And that's what Pittsburgh had been doing up until game one and two of this series. Yeah, and the goaltending thing just totally... Rangers were always going to have that advantage. Sands, uh, a freak injury, which almost happened. But Lundqvist was going to have the edge on Flurry, Murray, whoever. But to have it Zakoff, Lundqvist, it, it gets to be a little, little bit much for Pittsburgh to overcome, I think. Who knows? Tonight, Flurry may be back in net. I think he's tracking towards that. So we'll see. And, and what rust does Flurry have? He's not always been a, a surefire, you know, okay, we got him. Playoffs, we're set. Last year he was good. Yeah, but his he evidence carry, his evidence this year is good. Last year. Yeah, but he's got cobwebs. He that's that's played. the other thing I'm worried about is, is cobwebs. It's like there's there's no margin for error in the playoffs. You can't you can't really afford to give up two against Lundqvist because then you're asking your team to score three to win. So I think they can, but Pittsburgh needs to remember the team that they are, and that's high octane shot generation. Let's keep pushing the flow. And I think the coach does realize that. He spoke on how, or even Sidney Crosby, they were talking about hits. He's like, well, we're not we're not a hitting team. I could care less about that stat. You know, they're focused on the puck, moving the puck. Uh, they haven't done that yet. If they get to it in game three, I think you can, uh, you know, they should win. But 
that damn Lundquist. He can he Let's, can really throw a wrench in a, in a. It's one of those things. Pittsburgh can probably consider themselves lucky that it's only one one because they they got outdone at the thing they're supposed to be good at in both games, and still came away with a with a one one. Yep. Series position. So if they do get to the point where they are dominating, so not just winning the the Corsi battle, but substantially winning it like they should be, then I'd be more confident with the shot volume against Lundqvist. But like you said, it's, it's Hank is Hank. So game three is tonight. That should be really uh, interesting to see how that one plays out. Big uh, quote-unquote momentum shift. Whoever's up to one will be feeling good about themselves. And rightfully so. Yeah. Um, Chicago, St. Louis? Well, that's probably sitting where everyone thought. 2-1 to St. Louis. Second second games in Chicago now to see whether it ends up being a 3-1 or a 2-2 series. So what did you think about the offside debacle? Oh, well, I, I suppose that we can just talk in general about it um i don't i don't like it i don't think i don't think it's something fans were clamoring for the the millimeter offsides review right no, but i mean as soon as you put we all know that it was there for the egregious error right we understand that we all get it but as soon as you bring video review in this is what's going to happen it's not worth it uh, not for the play and not for the fact that it took away a goal. Like, we're complaining that there's no goal scoring. I think that Tarasenko goal was pretty mint. Uh, who? There were other goals that were pretty pretty nice being called back. And let's be honest, the flow of the game is totally destroyed. Coaches have to now think about not using a timeout for game strategy as it pertains to their own players needing rest. Or uh, a tongue lashing. And now they have to like almost eat that timeout as part of game strategy in, in case the ref messes up. And I hate, hate, hate the fact that replay is a part of coaching strategy. It, the coaches, it shouldn't be a coach's <laughs> challenge. It should be completely on the league to handle it. They should be have some system where they have assigned officials to each game that are not on the ice, not on a Sega game gear looking at these things. Yeah. And, and they should be having 80 inch high definition screens up somewhere and they can buzz down quickly. And by the time it's buzzed down the game stop, they've already been reviewing it. So it streamlines the process even more. And the coaches should not have to think about this stuff. It should not be on them. I hate it in the NFL that they have to use timeouts and have to have a timeout just in case the ref screws it up. Like, that's so stupid to me. It does seem a little silly, uh, considering that it's only a one thirty second timeout in each game that the team has. But I... I Does anybody care if someone's a millimeter offsides? Did it really wreck the flow of the play? How many referees are missing the belligerent offsides that go in on a breakaway? Yeah, it happened Pittsburgh, Philly, that Danny Breer thing. But honestly, how often does it happen? Was it really worth it's, it? It's, it is pretty rare, and it is one of those things. I understand the, the the reviewing of goals and all those sorts of things, like with you know in the crease fouls or interference and stuff like that. I kind of get that, but that's almost an automatic thing now because I automatically review those things in overtime anyway. So in the last two minutes of the game. 
I'm okay ditching the offsides part of this, but if you want to meet me halfway and say if a goal isn't scored within five seconds of the zone entry, then we're not going back. Yeah, that makes that that makes a little bit of logical sense. There are always going to be teething problems with this thing, and having the having the linesman and the and the officials uh, do this on tiny little monitors. I don't care how high def they are, whether they're 4K or not. If you can't see that thing large, it just it, it's almost like why are you bothering to do it? So I'm hoping that it improves next year. Whether they take on board the the outrage of, of what's happened for the, the millimetre ones that have, that have come through or, or whether they get pig-headed on it and say, no, we're going to stick with it and do it again the, exactly the same way next year, will we'll be an interesting case study in, in the NHL and listening to their fans. Um, there was a tweet on this that I thought was uh, really great uh, from Jeremy White of WGR 550 in Buffalo, and he says, the sport that ignores penalties endlessly wants you to accept Got to get it right with instant replay. Yeah, I read that too. I, I chuckled at that as well. It's like, that's very true. It's just correct. It's a very good tweet. Like, come on. Some of these uncalled penalties, even in that uh, the Sharks LA game last night, LA, or Sharks are on that power play. Doughty belligerently trips a guy right in front of yeah, the refs, and, and they don't want to put them five on three because they don't want to they, have a say in it or whatever, but you're having a say by not calling the infraction. I know, I know. It, it, the, the ridiculousness of, well, we don't want to look like we decided the game. It's like, well, if he's stupid enough to do the penalty, call him for it. That's not your fault if he did it. So it's Your job's just, not to decide what influences the game. Your job is to call the game. <laughs> yeah. The St. Louis Chicago series, how does it sort of look and feel to you? I haven't seen a lot of it, to be perfectly honest. So, um, it's I caught a little bit of Game Three. It's tough when you got um, the afternoon weekend games. You got a lot of stuff going on with kids and all that. I was kind of in and out of that one. Uh, you know, they're going at it. It's it's kind of the series I think everybody thought it would be. I think Brian Elliott's done a really nice job. They're finally kind of giving him the reins. And I think he's done a really, uh, put up a decent performance to this point. Their Blues are getting a lot of power plays. I don't think they're necessarily cashing in on a ton of them, though. So they should probably take advantage of Chicago making those mistakes a little bit more. Give them a little bit more wiggle room. But, well, if they can start making them pay on the penalties, they might actually stop taking them and then they get more space 5-on-5. Five five. I mean, I guess they're at 25%, which is 1 out of 4 is good. But it's it just feels like you got to put Chicago away when they give you that little slice. Well, it's the, it's this whole Game 4 thing. It's, it's like they've got a chance to go 3-1 up against Chicago and, and then go home. You know what I mean? So, once again, it's sort of a swing game, isn't it? Yeah, the next game's huge. If St. Louis can get up 3-1, to one, I really like their chances. 2-2, uh, two, two, still think they can, but you really kind of, you got to put Chicago down. Because <laughs> they're, until they're out, they're, they ain't out, if you get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. 
they um, they've shown time and time again they're even though that their possession game wasn't hitting high cylinders going into the playoffs they still have individual playmakers that can change a game at any given moment even if they are getting the play driven on them so that 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 can be tricky and Crawford's been good too. He probably doesn't get enough credit for the goalie well. he, he is. He's he's done well considering where he's come from in regards to the you know what I mean, the injuries and all that sort of stuff. So it's 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 good to see him jump back in and, and sort of not miss a beat. Yeah, because he was um you know, hurt leading into the playoffs. Chicago's actually controlling the 52.6% of even strength play for that series. Would you care to wager a guess who's the top possession team in the playoffs? We already talked about them. Yeah, no thanks. The Rangers. Pittsburgh's the worst possession score just at the Fenwick team in the playoffs, 43.6%. They are lucky to be 1-1, like we said, now that I'm just kind of grazing through here. That's... That's always the thing with small samples, with everything. It's like if you can get it right at the right time, and the, the Rangers certainly have, um, you know, just like San Jose have, and it looks as though – is Chicago riding a bad shooting percentage? In the playoffs? Yeah. I don't know offhand. Yeah. No, it's just one of those things where it's like it'll be – it's like, you know, Pittsburgh shooting percentage is, I think, 6%, and the Rangers is 10. They've ridden a high shooting percentage all year, so um, it will be interesting to see if, if it's those... It's tough, though. We're talking two games. It could be That's anything. what I mean. That's that's what I mean. If, if that holds for the Rangers through the playoffs, I expect them to get to the conference finals. Yeah, they could. That, that, that's the reality. If you can shoot 10%, Hank's going to stop 93. You're pretty much in front there. So... Chicago, St. Louis, living up to the to the hype so far. It's been good. Um, where do you want to go in the East? We got two left over there. Let's just go to the cakewalk. Which one? Oh, the okay, yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't. I, it, I my perception of that series wasn't a cakewalk, so I'm still kind of adjusting to the fact that it's three zero. I didn't expect it to be a three zero series, and particularly be a three zero series to the point where. Each game, the Capitals have made the gap between them and Philadelphia look bigger and bigger and bigger, which is impressive from from Washington's point well, of view. Even strength, Philly's doing okay. It's the special teams with, um, especially what five power play goals last night, and, and no, good for the happens. good for the Capitals for responding that way. Yeah. Um, so this is the first time I believe Washington's had a 3-0 series lead. Nice trivia piece, correct. Um, so well done to them. Hopefully they'll close it out because they have a history of those 3-1 series leads kind of. Getting away on them. But here's the thing. None of that matters. They're the 2015-16 Capitals. Those weren't the same teams, same coaches. No, nothing matters. So all, all that history stuff is, you know, fun to to chat about but it really doesn't mean anything so, yeah 
them being up 3 nothing, I think it's probably well-deserved. Holtby's amazing in the playoffs. I think his save percentage is like 939 for his career in like 30-something games. That's that's a large enough sample to say, wow, that's, that's really good. Impressive. Yep, yep. So people on Twitter, when Ovechkin scores that goal from that spot, always, how do you leave him open? Why is he so open? I can't believe this team... <laughs> leaves him open and you know i watched their power play and they have just amazing personnel to make it work backstrom is as good as anybody handling it um on the half wall in my opinion but really the key on why that seam pass is always there and you saw it last night because i think the man had two goals he did john carlson is Willing to shoot, has a cannon to shoot, and can score. So what that does, the top diamond penalty killer in, in the diamond formation, which I assume most penalty killing units would use against them, given that they're in a quasi-umbrella to feed Ovechkin across. They can't sag in that Ovechkin lane all the time. Why? Because if Carlson gets a shot through and TJ Oshie's doing his thing in front, it's going to go in anyways. So then you, you put that top penalty killer in a, in a rough spot. How far down do I go for the passing lane? How far up do I come so Carlson can't get a shot through? And they work it around so great and efficiently that that, that lane across to Ovi eventually gets open, and those guys know exactly when to get it over there, and he doesn't make mistakes when it does. So, yeah, I get it. People, <laughs> why is he in the same spot scoring? But it, there's more to it. It's that the other side of the power play does such a great job and keeps people honest that you can't help but make a mistake here and there with it. Just he's just good. Yeah, you know, he's, he's just he's just fantastically good, and he's got fantastic players around him that make it work. That's why it happens. It, it, it looks great. It's like the. You know, we were discussing it beforehand. The Sharks' power play looked fantastic in Game 3 towards the end of the third period, I think it was. Um, but they just couldn't put the puck in the net. They don't have an Ovechkin to do that. And, and that's generally the difference between uh, a ridiculously effective power play and just an effective one. Well, I think it's a problem when the goalie on the other team has more points than all but four of your guys. Hey? Hope he had an assist on that... Uh... Of, uh, which goal was it? He's got an assist. Right, so he's outscoring a lot of the flies in the game. Okay, I got you. Yeah, including Giroux and Voracek, I think. It's, it's one of those things where I get how when you make the playoffs, the expectations jump, right? But as far as I'm concerned, Philly are a year and a half ahead of where I thought they'd be. So they need to look at the gap between themselves and, and the Capitals. And, and then um, work out how to close that gap. And a huge reason why they are where they are is Steve Mason, and he's been really bad. I think 8.52, say percentage. Yeah. That's like Fleury at his worst bad. I don't, I don't think he's healthy. <laughs> he might not be, and I'm sorry to use Fleury as the barometer. but It's an easy one to use, though. Like, I get it. Like, the reference is there. You can stop picking on my favorite guy when he wins the Stanley Cup, all right? Until yeah. then. I, he's... um... Mason's been really bad. He may be injured. Uh, Neuverth had a nice year. I don't know if they quite pull that string, but I think it's safe to say Philly doesn't probably doesn't have two wins in, in them, let alone four. 
the way things are going. No, you, you. Do we even want to discuss the debacle at the end of the game that caused like, like the nine power plays to be had? I mean, that hit, the boarding hit was terrible. Like, that's numbers, numbers, numbers. I'm going to throw them into the wall anyways. That was really dangerous. That's the kind of hit that people leave on stretchers, and it didn't happen this time. But just because it didn't happen doesn't mean you – I mean, that should be – we've said it. That should be 15 to 20 games every time. Yeah, you know what's funny? And I know you said you don't bother listening to them, but Nick Kiprios was trying to say that that was as much all else fault as it was um, Vanderveld's fault. Why do you do this to yourself? Because I try, it's just, I've got to try and work out where these people are coming from. I just, I don't understand. Like he gets there and tries to say, all I've known is he's coming. And he tried to sort of reverse hit him. And it's like, no, no, he just slammed him into the board's numbers. They keep saying he can't hit the numbers. Vendorelli still hit the numbers. I actually think Lovejoy should have got a freaking penalty for the boarding he did on Derek Stepan. Yes, agreed. And he didn't. I, I cannot work out how... And the official was right there. The only thing I can possibly think of is that he thinks Stepan dove. And in that case, he just said they wash, which is a load of bullshit. He should have called them both. Probably um, double double minor on um, Lovejoy for ball. I don't know too many guys <laughs> diving into the wall head first. That's my point. So I don't understand how that can't... I, just, I could not work out how that Lovejoy one got, got skipped by. And then you get the, the all of one... And it's like, well, thankfully they did toss, they did toss the guys. But you get there with it, and it's like, you, and the the, the Orpic hit as well, that was interference. That puck was long gone. There was actually no need for that hit to occur. Well, that goes back into you're gonna really need to work on what the purpose of hitting is through the youth levels, well, yeah. which I think they've started to do, at least in my experiences with USA Hockey recently, is hitting for puck possession, not for bodily harm. Uh, but we're still in a transitional phase where the NHL players that are there now didn't quite grow up with that training. So Ryan White, it was clearly obvious that, that his path and angle, because Orpik was reaching and then got rid of the puck. And people want to criticize him for leaving himself exposed. And it's like, well, where was Ryan White's focus the entire time? It wasn't – it had nothing to do with the puck. It was, I'm going to hit him really hard. And while I don't think that it was a headshot per se, I think it was what I would consider an avoidable hit moving forward. And one I don't think the league necessarily needs anymore because you saw – what happened to Orpik? Do we really want more of those situations? Was that hit thing, really that entertaining to where you you need that? It didn't look to me like that hit was a head high hit. I actually think it was the impact and the snap of the neck that made Orpik get cast right. I'm so with you. this isn't a this isn't a hit to the head that needs to be suspended. I just think it needs to be a penalized hit. That hit he had no intent to, like you said, retrieve the puck or get the puck back. I'm all for physical hockey as long as you're there to get the puck. And that puck was always going to be long gone by the time Ryan White got there. So the only thing he could possibly do was go in there to try and hurt him. And apparently he skated past the bench saying, I got him, I got him. So I get there with it and it's like if you've got that anecdotal evidence there and the microphones wouldn't be able to pick it up, 
bloody use it because that's the whole intent to injure that the NHL seem to don't want to sort of take into effect until there is an injury. So I actually don't think that's a suspendable hit because you can get him in the head. But it's definitely a penalty. It's definitely a penalty in the context of what's going on in the game. It's either charging or interference. Take your pick. Yeah, not not a suspendable hit though. The, what what concussed Orpic was the snap of the neck, not not the contact made by White. But if you make a minor penalty for it, maybe it goes away. Correct, which, is, because it, which would yeah. be good in my opinion. And then of course you know Philly, Philly gonna Philly. I really thought they'd moved away from Philly going to Philly, but that was Philly going to Philly. It was, it was something. It was the whole thing was something. You're exactly right. I'll leave that. I'll leave it at that though. So, are we going to talk about the other series that could go three zip, or are we going to talk about the Stars losing to the Wild? Um, the only thing I want to say about Stars Wild is the Wild are a terrible, probably the worst playoff team here. They got their win last night. That was very good. Uh, the most interesting part about that series for me was Tyler Sagan coming back in Game 2 and then already needing to miss time in Game 3. That seems uh, like the interesting decision so far. It's disappointing for me. That's the thing. Like I want him healthy. So hopefully it's a, it's a short series for the Stars' sake and, and they can rest him up and, and get him healthy for, for Game 1 of whoever they end up playing in the in the second round. So um, they're going to need him. Whoever comes out of that blue Chicago series, is that they're definitely going to need him for that. But uh, I think that the key thing for me is going to be what happens in net with Dallas as well. Now, while we're on the topic of Dallas, do you uh, still want Nashville <laughs> for your draft? Shut up! <laughs> hey, look, Renee hasn't flurried, so... I think that's the difference. That's actually the, uh, not to kind of ignore Dallas, Minnesota, but I think that's the most lopsided um, series so far. Which is hilarious you say that because there's only one three-zip series in the entire playoffs at the moment. I mean, there could be another one after tomorrow, but um, you do sit there with it and it's like, it, it has felt like one-way traffic that entire series, um, yet it's 2-1. So it does show you how playoffs does become a little bit of a leveler. Through, through the two Anaheim-Nashville games, they're the closest possession teams. Oh, it's, it's showed in how they've played, and, and it's, it's weird for me with, with Anaheim. They don't look quite right, and, and Nashville... Anaheim aren't a fast team, but Nashville looks substantially faster. Mm-hmm. Nashville's good. Our concerns were goaltending, and the goalies played well. Yeah. So, you know, that poses a real big problem. I've got a friend here in Perth that's a Predators fan, and I said to him, if Renee can play to the reputation that he's got, um, Nashville are going to be fine. If he plays to the way his numbers have panned out over the last couple of years, Nashville will lose. Let's see where they are. I mean, he's not playing, like, out of his... Well, 9.30. That's pretty good. It's better than he did for the regular season. And if they, if he gets if they get 9.30 out of him the rest of the way, they'll go deep. They'll challenge whoever comes out of that LA San Jose series. On the flip side, what we thought was going to happen to Nashville, Anaheim's at 
878. I don't, the thing is, I don't think Gibson's been particularly bad. They just, it feels like they've had a lot more high danger chances. And they could be wrong. Like, this is the thing. Like, I get there, I, I, I like doing these podcasts because I go, it feels like this has happened. And then you can give me the numbers and I can go, nope, that's just how it looks. That's not what's actually going on. So it'll be interesting to see whether they stick with Gibson or whether they go to Freddie Anderson. This is, once again, a goaltending thing with poor old Bruce Boudreau. This one's... I read a nice article. I think Jen Neal of Yahoo did a article about this goaltending thing and with Boudreau and, and how maybe Bob Murray needs to own a little bit of it because, you know, he, Murray being a Gibson guy and maybe... Boudreaux wanted to go with Anderson a little bit and how they've never really been on the same page in this regard. They haven't been on the same page in a lot of regards. Correct. Like that, that's the thing that I find hilarious. It's like he he, he panicked and, and hired Boudreaux on to sort of fill a hole, and then Boudreaux's been successful, so you can't really fire him. Um, and it's almost like he's trying to set him up to fail at times, which is just bizarre because the general consensus is that, you know, Boudreaux is a good coach and gets positive results out of his teams. Um, you have a look at how Washington sort of fell apart after he left. It took them a while to find someone to put them back together properly. And, and Boudreaux's taken a, a team that is very different than Washington to great heights. So he can certainly coach in different in environments with different uh, constructed rosters. So Nashville wins, you know, their next game at home, right? Yeah, look, they can they can win two at home and they're into the next round. Like the reward, I, I was gonna... LA or San Jose? Yeah, <laughs> actually, <laughs> that whole West is really good. That whole West is is really good yeah. outside of Minnesota. So, um, so that's the West. Tampa, Detroit's been interesting. There's been some fun sequences in that series. Uh, I think Tyler Johnson is back to being Tyler Johnson again, just in time for the playoffs. Well, it's they needed someone to do that, and they're very lucky that it's TJ, really. Three or six points in the three games. So Kucherov is just throwing bombs, upper dog on Does... one timers. I know that it's a 2-1 series, right? But it really feels like Tampa Bay have owned that series. I don't know whether it feels like that to you or whether the numbers even pan that out. But, you know, the fact that Tampa only got 16 shots in Game 3 and Mrazic posted a shutout, it's like, well, well done. But I can't see Detroit being able to hold them to 16 shots on goal again. Detroit did really well in, in Game 3. And they were quite unfortunate to not score earlier in that game with some of those power plays. And, and the, they're just peppering Bishop, who's played really well. Yeah. You know, they gotta, they gotta, they still got to win that next one, though. Can't go down 3-1. to one. That would be... I'll say this. Tampa is playing um, a little bit better than I uh, thought they were going to, minus the players that they were. But, yeah, they, they certainly have. They've surprised me. Having that top line step up to the plate like they have, that was, uh, that's what they needed, and that's what they've gotten so far. Detroit does have the advantage, 
um, at even strength. But, you know, Jimmy Howard's been terrible. I'm surprised they didn't go to Morazic after game one, to be honest. It just seems weird. You ride Morazic all year. He has a few bad games. And then, you know... He got injured. He got injured, came back, wasn't good, and then they, they went back to Howard, so... Yeah, that was tough. Tough to see. You can't, you can't overcome that. You cannot overcome the bad goaltending. I don't care how good you are. No, no, no good teams make it far. Bad session. No teams make it far with just junk goaltending. So, but to their All credit, right. they're not even the worst. Pittsburgh is at eight nine eight, and Anaheim, Detroit's third worst nine oh one, and that's not good enough. And that nine oh one's even with the game three where they did a really great job. Jesus so. Christ! Okay, that's not good. Now, is Thomas Grice going to continue to outplay Roberto Luongo? Um, he's going to have to, because Florida is actually doing a really nice job at even strength. They are, especially the Barkov unit, they mm-hmm. kind of do as they please when they're on the ice, which has been, that's one of my favorite lines to watch for obvious reasons. Well, is he even going to score though? Well, here's the thing. Shocked me when I heard it. Yager has not scored in 34 playoff games. That's the, And that was everybody's concern with Yago with this team, is getting to the playoffs and dying in the ass. Well, that start, the back-to-back to start the series was pretty rubbish. Yeah, well, I suppose you, you can't do anything about that. The NHL likes to do silly things. No, but especially for, for Yager, and I know Luongo... After yeah. game three, said three games and four nights, he he said he was gassed. Well, it, it's the same to... for everybody, but if you're 44 or 45, yeah, that's going to hit you a little bit harder. Hey, look, it's one of those things. All these teams that are down two one at the moment, all they have to do is win the next game, and the series is tied again, and it's 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 everything's hunky dory again, and you feel pretty good. So it, it's not it's not death. It's it's it is one of those things where. They've won a game, even if they do lose, they, they're still in the series. So, yes, the odds get harder for them. So, it's not, I'm not, I'm not overly concerned for, for, um, for Florida, but, um, I'd feel pretty good if I was the Islanders, mainly because Tavares has turned into the Tavares that he looked like he was going to be, but didn't quite get to this year. Yeah, he's got, uh, six points in those three games. I think Florida's been the better team, but, Game breakers can be game breakers, and certainly Tavares fits that bill. Um, Riley Smith, though, leads the playoffs. Eight points in three games, four goals, four assists for Florida. Can't complain with that. They just Florida just needs a little bit of production from the guys that they are expecting, and Longo to give them average goaltending, which you would expect Longo to be able to do. They should get through that series, but the Islanders have it on a Thomas Hickey overtime. Yeah, Yager lost his guy, too. And that's where Jaeger has to actually start to contribute on the scoreboard because he's going to have situations like that. He can. 
But that series has been actually really fun to watch. One of the more entertaining ones, I think. Lots of goals, but back and forth. Uh, is my memory correct? It was like, was Florida ever up like three nothing, and then the Islanders came all the way back, or was that too too much of a? Am I misremembering? Oh, they might have got up two zip. I okay. Think. But yeah, went... there's been wild swings. Yeah, and that yeah, it's it's been it's been entertaining in that aspect. Each each series, as it does every year, is sort of taken on its own personality um, in regards to it, and, and sort of there's no lead kind of safe in in that particular series. So I like the fact that, like you had mentioned, there's really only one series that's completely dead in the water. I think it's the Washington one. Yeah, that one that one feels dead. I mean, the Predators Ducks one tomorrow night that could almost kill off that series. I it could, but with, we're not there yet. No, I mean if Rene if if Rene plays another third good game, and I mean like a, a nine thirty good game, not a not an average nine seventeen or nine twenty one sort of game. If he plays that sort of a game, and they're up three zip, I would expect them to win one out of the next four to to win that series and go through. Whereas I just can't see with how fragile poor old Mason looks to win another game. You know what I mean? He's been their horse all year. It's just not happening right now. No, I look, I don't think he's healthy. And, and I don't think Neuberth's fully healthy either. They just, they got that injury bug for their, their goaltenders the, at the wrong the, time. The of Pennsylvania the injury bug. Oh God, that state is cursed. Although it was the one team that did it to the other team. <laughs> At least the Murray one. So are we, um, I think we've covered off all the series. Yep, I think we managed to hit off on all of them. I've enjoyed things so far. Oh, so have I. It's, it's been really good fun. Oh, I know. I want one little thing. Yep. Boy, that Jonathan Druin magically learned his lesson, I tell you. It, it's funny when coaches get backed into a corner, what happens? Oh, he, they have no choice but to play him. And I just like the fact that he's got there and gone, see, I can do this. And I could always do this, but you mm -hmm. didn't want me to. So that's it. I want to throw that in there. Playing well. Exciting to watch. Entertaining. Almost like uh, the kind of player you would pay to see. Yep. In a league that's not full of them. No, it is It is one of those things. But hopefully the quality of play will continue to be high and the officiating will allow that to be the case as the series get closer and closer to seven and the officials want to have less and less of an impact. I'm hoping they don't whistles away. We'll see. Don't hold that breath. No, I do not want to pass out. So, um, I think that'll do. Um, any shout-outs? Oh, we've got a couple, but I've put them away. Aren't you going to do them pre-recorded? Yeah, do that too. Um, well, you can donate to the podcast at patreon.com slash hockeyhurts. Uh, that's completely your call. It's always much appreciated. Um, we actually have some podcast shout outs to give out for donations esther cabrera and jimmy dunphy 
and also somebody anonymously. So, Mr. Anonymous or Mrs. Anonymous. Thank you very much. You can uh, find the podcast at HockeyHurts.com or on iTunes uh, at Walshy66, at Gunnerstall, at Hockey underscore Hertz. Anything else? I think we've covered it all. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next time.